Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode seven of the Runner Rams podcast. As always, I'm Gavin Bishow. And I'm Colin Struckman. And today we're going over Rhodey's losses this past week against Wisconsin and Western Kentucky. And we're previewing their first A-10 game against Davidson. We're also going over some scores across the country and across the Atlantic 10. We have a lot to get into, so let's get into it. Karan Iverson clears it. Iverson gets away from the defense, dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He dunks it home as the buzzer sound. And Rhodey, the A-10 champs. Odom. With four. Odom. 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's To the corner, shot for three by Stan. Terrell down to eight seconds. Got to go right. In traffic, off balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell! And for the first time since 2009, it's Rhode Island over Providence with the Ocean State. Oh, wow. Terrell from outside. Kingston, he puts it in. First and foremost, I want to give a shout-out to Rody Sports on IG. That's Rody.Sports, all lowercase, Rody.Sports on Instagram. Great edits, great graphics, and all your up-to-date news for Rhode Island Rams basketball. Also, give our socials a follow on Twitter and Instagram. The Instagram name is Pod on Instagram. And on Twitter, it's Pod, capital R for running and Rams, and then capital P for pod. That's for our social medias. If you want to check out there, we'll be releasing our podcast and our links uh, all there for you to see. So Colin, getting into the first game, looking back to last week, Tuesday, the Ram- Wednesday rather, the Rams took on Wisconsin. All right, the number 13 team in the nation. Rory set this game up on Monday. They played Wisconsin on the road on Wednesday and didn't go the way, it, well, it went the way that p- other people thought it would, but not the way that we did. Yeah, I mean, when you figure out a couple days before that you're playing the number 13 team in the country, I think it can be difficult, uh, but you just can't start off the slow as slow as the way they did. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're playing Wisconsin, if you're playing an A-10 opponent, someone else non-conference, you just can't start as slow as they did and as sloppy as they did. They just continued to turn it over early in the first half, and then they just you know, build themselves such a deficit that it's really hard to overcome. So I think that's kind of the main takeaway. You just cannot start as slow as they did. Yeah, common theme. We saw it last year. This team would play well, but we see teams like Dayton on their schedule and they play Dayton. They start off really slow. They saw St. Louis late in the year, really slow. So a theme that we saw last year carrying on to this year, Wisconsin started off on a 10-2 run and didn't look back in the first half. They had a 33-16 lead after the first the Rams turned the ball over 11 times. That is an absurd amount against the number 13 team in the nation that will not get the job done. But the offense did pick it up in the second half. But even then, the Rams were as down as much as 22. And they did not even hit their first three until 11.02 left in that second half. But over a span of seven minutes from the 11.58 mark, to the Ford 49 mark, the Rams went on a 23 to nine run to bring that Wisconsin 22 point lead to only eight after Jeremy Shepard three 62 54. And it looked like a game. It, it was a game at, at that point, but the Badgers held off the Rams as good teams do 
73-62, despite the Rams' late push. The Rams, URI did outscore Wisconsin by six, 46-40 in the second half. Great showing in the second half from the offense. After only scoring 16 points in that first half, they score 46 in the second. And another key, only three second-half turnovers for URI and shot 15 for 24 from the field. That's 62.5%. So, obviously, the offense was much more fine-tuned in that second half against Wisconsin. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned Jeremy Shepard before, and I really think that he was a key factor in them climbing back in this game. We obviously know he can shoot from deep, and you know we, we knew that coming in, but now we can actually see it. But I really think you got to get him and Carey more involved on the offense. I mean, we ranted and raved before the season about how they can be these big factors, how they can shoot from, you know, from three point range. So if you're going to have that, you just got to generate more looks for them, more open looks from three, get them more involved, get those mid range jumpers, and you're going to start to see a lot of points. So I feel like if you get those two involved, that's really going to help the offense because fats won't have to do as much. And, you know, he starts to take those wild shots and continues to drive down the lane and turns it over. So it's easy for this offense to click when you have those two guys going. So I feel like that's definitely going to help. But looking at the Wisconsin side of things, I mean, we talked about Brad Davidson, Brad Davidson the last time. You just got to contain him because he's not going to blow you away on the stat sheet, but he is that energy source for this team. And when he's clicking, this team looks like a Final Four team. I really think that. So, I mean, if you if you found a way to slow him down, it's easy to it's you know it's it's capable of maybe winning this game. But you couldn't slow him down. He was on fire from three in the first half, and they just rode that momentum all the way through the first half. But what really concerns me about this game is they just did not have a presence down low. And I mean, Reavers and Potter were just beasts down there. They were blocking everything. They were grabbing every rebound. I mean, they were absolute monsters down there. Rody just did not have an answer. The Mitchell twins kind of struggling in this one. And I mean, Jermaine Harris, he hasn't given you anything this year. Not the same here. What a surprise. I mean, it's, it's just really frustrating that you don't have a presence down low and you have some really big guys down there. I mean, you're playing a really good team. But at the same time, you got to grab those rebounds. You got to get some blocks. I mean, you just have to have you just have to have a presence down low. And you clearly did not in this game. And for me, Colin, at least for me, it seemed as this Wisconsin Big Ten defense was way too good and way too big. Watching this, watching the TV, watching you or I play, I'm like, there's no way they're going to score. I mean, look at them. They're so large. They block every shot. And you're right, the Rams had no presence down low in the first half, and mainly because all their shots down low were very predictable. Turnaround jump shots, spin move into a quick layup. There was no there was no pump fakes. There was no head fakes. There was a ball, nothing down low. It was very predictable. And Rovers is a we proved to be a big time shot blocker, and he grabbed the Wisconsin record in that game. He had three blocks in that game, but it looked like there was no way for Rody to get down low and get a bucket. But I feel like Hmm. They didn't have a uh, variability. There was no, there was no difference in what they were doing. They just kept going down low and kept throwing up the same shots with with no, with no with, with no hesitation. There was no, there was no unpredictability to the shots they were taking down low. And I feel like once they started doing that, they started doing better down low. I mean, they weren't forcing any fouls, right? Because Wisconsin was blocking nearly every shot. But once they started attacking the hoop quickly and unpredictably. Wisconsin had to foul more, and they had to stay honest with a down-low game. And this helped Rody in the second half, I feel like, on the other end of the court, space out the floor, letting the Rams kick out and hit jumpers. No, yeah, I think that definitely helped. But at the same time, I mean, 
you're obviously going up against that great defense like you mentioned before so you just had to mix it up and i think you made a good point there but you know it's it's just difficult i mean you just there was just this giant roadblock it seemed like every time they went down to try and score they just couldn't and it was crazy i mean i you just got to give credit to how good their defense is they're so well coached and greg guard is a phenomenal coach in the big 10 and i mean they were just the more solid team defensively and offensively they were clearly the better team for the whole game even though you or i outscored them in the second half i still felt like wisconsin was the better team throughout the entire game but you gotta play 40 minutes of basketball i know you've said that so many times this year it's it's just something that's plagued them and you can have this great second half i mean they look like a second half team at least to me they, they play some pretty good basketball in the second half you know second half but when you you can't get going the first half that's not going to do you any favors. You're going to have to climb that just mountain, it seems like, and you're just not going to be able to come back and try and get a win. But at the end of the day, I think I do think there's some bright spots. I think showing a lot of the fight in the second half and not rolling over and letting them win by 30, what seemed like it was going to be at the start of that game because they were playing so bad. I mean, I, I thought Wisconsin was going to win by 30, 35 points at that rate. But at the end of the day, you lose by, what was it, 12? 11 so 11 okay so i mean that that's not terrible i mean it's not good by any measures but you know with the way the game was going i don't think that's that bad and i mean you just gotta you gotta start better in the first half i think it's that simple and i mean just simple things like turnovers and free throws i mean they just continue to just be a huge issue and i, I mean it's so frustrating because those are two things that are just so simple and i don't care if you're a youth team, an AAU team, a high school, college, NBA, whatever it may be, you just can't turn the ball over and you have to make your free throws. I get that this is a brand new team, and I thought that we'd see some kinks in the offense or the defense. I mean, that's there, but it's not too terrible. But the main thing is just the free throws. I mean, it's an empty gym. Every single, you know, wherever you go, it's an empty gym. It's not like you have thousands of students, you know, screaming and trying to get you to miss the free throw. And there's nobody there. There's nobody there trying to distract you. There's There should be no excuses. You just got to make your free throws. I don't know if it's staying after four or five hours in the gym after every practice, but David Cox has got it ingrained in these guys' brains. You have to make your free throws in order to win basketball games. So, talking about the Wisconsin game, going detailed in the stats, Colin, riled up by the free throws, and I agree. It, it, it's an empty gym. It's an empty gym. Like you said, they got to hit the shots that are easy. If there's one thing you control as a basketball team that's inexperienced together and new to each other, it's free throws. That should yeah, be one thing you feel to control. And obviously, in some games, it has been very good for round, but in some games, it hasn't. And those games are the ones where they lose. Looking over the overall stats of the game, Rhode Island shot 43% from the field, a little lower than their average. They made zero threes until, of course, that 11-minute mark in the second half. Just not a good not a good look. And if you need a spark from the offense, hitting threes really gets you back into a game, and that's what the Rams did not do. Obviously, when they went on that 23-9 run, it helped them a lot. A couple threes from Jeremy Shepard. He had 13 points, went three for four made the only threes for Rhode Island in that game. And 60% from the free throw line, come on. Against Wisconsin, you got to shoot at least 70, 75% from the free throw line. You can't go 60% from the free throw line going 15 for 25. It just won't get the job done. 
and 14 total turnovers, 11 that first half, a dreaded first half. I didn't want to watch. I wanted to crawl on my skin. It was that bad. And three turnovers <laughs> in the second half. Jalen Carey had a solid game, nine points, five rebounds. Both the Mitchell Twins had eight points, including Mikel had eight rebounds. Antoine Walker had 10 rebounds, four points, and Fats had a very rough game, eight points. He went three for 14 from the field, couldn't get anything to go. He's got to break out of that slump. I mean, I'm sick and tired of seeing eight or nine points a game. We, we talked about, oh, he's he could be an A-10 player of the year. You know, he's all this and all that, but we haven't seen it. Let's see it, Fats. I mean, you know, you're, you're all hype, but you're not showing me anything this year. It's really frustrating to watch. Very frustrating. Look on the other side of Wisconsin. Brad Davidson, as you mentioned, uh, loved game-high 23 points. Michael Potter, who was highly touted, had 13.7 rebounds and a dominant force down low. And Alexis Ford, Alexis Ford, had 11 points of his own for Wisconsin. They they didn't blow the charts off by any means on the offensive end. I mean, 20 for 52 from the field, 38.5%. That's not. They just scored every every time we turned it over. They scored. They turned every time we, they score every time we turn it over. But 38.5%. You should be able to beat if a team is shooting 38.5% from the field. You have to beat them. You have to beat them. Only no, they were like percent from three. They were red hot like from three early, and then I don't think they they. Made Made many no, they, threes after they that. They start off pretty well, but they ended seven for 22 uh, beyond the arc. But this is the key stat 72% from the free throw line, 26 for 36. That's almost half of URI's points right there, 26 points. So that's the big difference in the game. 26 free throws made compared to URI's 15. That's 11 points. That's the difference in the score. And I feel like free throws and out the perimeter shot is what's playing URI's season thus far so coming off that loss at wisconsin again not to mention they're the number 13 team in the nation we expected them to be very good and they were just wish you right didn't play as bad but the rams taking a mid-major perennial power in what is the western kentucky hilltoppers all right a great game for the rams to close out non-conference non-conference schedule going to a10 play and get a sneaky good win against a very good Western Kentucky team. Now, this game started off as bad, if not worse, for Rhode Island uh, when they played Wisconsin. It was just not good to start. The Rams were only down 9 nothing, but they didn't score their first point until 14-23 left in the first. It was just, I don't know how to explain it. They just couldn't get anything to fall. Honestly, they're turning the ball over. They had five early turnovers in that first half, and it was just killing me. It was like, Again, I didn't. I didn't think they were going to score the entire first half. It was just beyond me. It was a carbon copy of the Wisconsin game against a Western Kentucky team, which would help their resume a lot. If they don't win this game, their non-conference resume kind of balances out. They move a little bit in the Kempom, but balances out really. Makai Mitchell went down early in the first after hyperextending hyper extending his leg. The MRI results are pending still, so. Once we get news on that, we'll mention it in our next podcast. As the time we're recording this, the results from his MRI are still pending. So he went down about five minutes into play in the first half. But the Rams, after being down at nothing, fought back and took a 24-22 lead in an absolute slugfest with four minutes to go in that first half. But Western Kentucky closed out the first half on 11-3 run to go up 33-27 at the break. Rhode Island went on a little 5-0 run to start the second half, only getting down one 
to Western Kentucky, but the Hilltoppers use a 15-5 run over the span of six minutes to go up 48-37 with 12 minutes remaining in the second half. But the Rams, like they did against Wisconsin, did not go away in the second half with the help of Antoine Walker, Ishmael Luggett, and DJ Johnson, who had a heck of a ball game. The Rams tied it up at 64 apiece after fast hit a layup with 50 seconds to go. It was just a back-and-forth slugfest. Uh, between the two teams, and the Rams slowly, slowly, slowly closed that gap. They tied it up with 50 seconds to go. And at the end of the game, so after that layup, four facts, Western Kentucky mostly held the ball for about 25, 30 seconds, by no means a good possession, but there was a loose ball. Western Kentucky got it, and there was a shot put up, and who else but Charles Bassey ended up tipping in the game-leading shot with 11 seconds to go to go up 66 64 and about five seconds left. Jalen Carey drove to the lane, got fouled, had two shots to tie the game up, and that was Bassey's fifth foul, who had been who's been a big impact in the game. Whenever he wasn't on the floor, Rowell did tremendously well down low and helped their offense in general. And they got a lot more defensive rebounds as Bassey was just dominating the boards against URI. So Bassey was out five seconds to go. This game went to overtime. Rowell have a good chance of winning this game. Jalen Carey goes one for two from the line. He missed one of his free throws to tie the game. And the Hilltoppers hold on 68-65 to drop to drop the Rams of Rhode Island as they go to three and four on the year. DJ Johnson did have his breakout game. He had 16 points, went four for five from three. Really love that spark for the Rams. I said last podcast or a podcast before, he's due to have a breakout game. I think today was his proving point. Another thing we learned, Charles Bassey's a beast. I mean, he almost had a trip. He could have had a triple double without assists. I mean, he had 13 points, nine rebounds, five blocks. He's just a beast down low. Yes, he's a monster. He's just nonstop. It's not like he had like 20, 25, 30 points. I mean, 13 is good, but he was just blocking everything. He was grabbing every rebound. And he is just nonstop. I mean, he does not stop. He plays the full game. The only time, you know, they take him out because he's in foul trouble. But other than that, he is just a motor. And he is going the whole game. Um, I mean, he just seemed to have a block party in the paint. He was blocking everything. The Rams tried to get up and, and into the basket. I mean, he's just, he's just a monster. And I really think he's going to be in the NBA. And I think that's because his ability to move down the floor is phenomenal, especially with with his size and the ability to just grab like every ball on offense or defense, every ball that's contested. And he's very similar to Luca Garza, except Luca Garza does not move as well as Charles Bassey does. And he's a little bit clunky and can't grab those, you know, loose balls or anything. Bassey does that even better than Garza does. So, I mean, I really thought I saw shades of Carl Malone and Charles Bassey. I think he's that great of a player, Uh, but real quick, I want to bring this up. So Jalen carry at the free throw line. He misses the first one. Do you think he should have missed that next one trying to get a rebound after maybe? See, this I, I thought about missing missing it, but that's a do or die situation. And I feel like then yeah. five seconds, they got a foul and with within 0.8. So it was 4.3 seconds when they were shooting their next free throws. I think you extend the game. And if they miss a shot with 4.3 seconds left, if they miss a shot with all the players back, I think it gives you enough time to at least get a rebound, a quick outlet, and a sprint down for a floater. So I see why they didn't miss on purpose. And then when they needed to, they didn't. So they didn't get the rebound. So <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get it. It could have gone either way. I mean, that, that, that's a gamble. It, it, it's definitely a gamble. So it's really, 
I, with either choice, I wouldn't have been upset, but both are very hard to maneuver. I feel like once they made that free throw, it was really tough to go down there. And then, of course, they fouled. Then he let the Rams shoot the three. Western Kentucky fouled with about 1.9 seconds left. I feel like Fats, knowing what they were going to do, should have been more prepared for that and should have been ready to take a shot. Honestly, I'd rather take a shot from half court because it gives us more of a chance to win that or try to get fouled on the shot. But, again, Fats' struggles continue. I mean, he had 14 points, but he had a little tweak in his leg. He obviously didn't have the same pep in his step and did not contribute as much as he should to be that senior leader on the team. As you mentioned, DJ Johnson, team high, game high, rather, 16 points. Antoine Walker had a solid game. I think he's been a very good player for Rowan. Not like after the first two games, he obviously had very two great games to start, but he, I don't think he's fell off. I feel like he's just been playing solid basketball, doing what he needs to do to win back to help this team win basketball games. He had eight points, six rebounds, and Ishmael Leggett had seven. And so did Jalen Carey. Speaking of Jalen Carey and Jeremy Shepard, I've been impressed with all of them. I think about their consistency, their willingness to, to drive to win games for Rowan. But for those two, Jalen Carey and Jeremy Shepard, they just did not have it against Western Kentucky. I don't know what it was. They were turning the ball over, making sloppy passes. Jalen Carey, who's the Syracuse transfer coming from a Power 5 school, was walking into a half-court trap, getting cornered like it was nothing. It's like, are you kidding me? You're, you have the sideline to one side, you have the half-court line to the other, and you have two men on you. You're, you're four-cornered. There's nothing to do except throw the ball somewhere and get, a turn, and get the ball turned over. So I was very frustrated with him and his urgency uh, in the half-court offense rather as it did succeed for West Kentucky a few times but again gotta do better the Rams did shoot 11 for thir- uh, 11 for 15 from the free throw line 73% but just didn't get there enough to win the game I feel like that's a good clip 73% I'm happy with that all day but only getting there 15 times compared to West Kentucky's 26 times making 21 of theirs it's not gonna get the job done against a great mid-major team Looking at Western Kentucky, they're led by Joss Anderson. He had 15 points, five rebounds. Tavian Hollinsworth did so much for this Western Kentucky team. And, of course, he's so hyped coming into this game. But what he did, I think, is is underrated. He had 14 points, three assists, four steals, and seven rebounds. He did a lot for Western Kentucky. And I think it goes under the radar in a game where he did truly, truly very good uh, against URI. Yeah, I mean, we really talked about Hollinsworth before this game. He can be such a factor. I think he's a Swiss Army knife of that team. But what really impressed me with this Western Kentucky team is they were just so good defensively. And like you mentioned before, they just continued to trap Carey and Shepard because, you know, they can be such factors offensively for this team. And that's probably why they didn't have their best games, just because the Hilltoppers were so sound defensively and found a way to shut down everything the Rams were trying to do on offense. But at the end of the day, I mean, you got to love the performance from DJ Johnson. He's a breakout star for this team. I think this was a huge game for him to gain some confidence. And Antoine had a decent game, but I really think this team, and, you know, Coach Cox, they got to find a way to get Antoine more involved. I think he's your best big down low. I think he's too good of a player in the paint to, you know, not be as big of a factor as he is right now. So we got to find a way to get him more involved in the paint, get more blocks, more rebounds, and be that huge presence down low that this team has clearly been lacking uh, in these past two games against Wisconsin and Western Kentucky. And obviously, you know, it feels like a broken record, but free throws and turnovers are this team's worst enemy. And you just cannot be your team. You you can't be your own worst enemy, especially when the A-10 is so competitive this year. So, I mean, free throws and turnovers, if we're going to summarize these two games, you know, in one little thing right here, 
you got to cut those two and you're going to be on the right path. So I think if you fix that, this team can can have a lot of potential and be a really good team in the A-10. But if you can't fix that, it's going to be a long year. Yeah, before we move on to Davidson, I should have two things to mention. In my opinion, Rory should have won that game. They had so many opportunities to win or take a lead or take advantage of something, but they just didn't. The bottom line no, is yeah, they should have got to be able to close out games. We saw in Seton Hall won a 15-2 run. Good for you or I. That's their only win in a close game where they had a legitimate chance. BC, they had a chance. Lost. West Kentucky, lost. Arizona State, lost. And what all three of those games come in, come in common? They all came down to free throws and turnovers. So turnovers plagued that BC game and free throws from Makai Mitchell. He went 0 for 4 against Arizona State in clutch time. And Jalen Carey's missed free throw All right, against Western Kentucky. I think it comes down to free throws and turnovers. And when March comes, the little things are going to win games, especially, as you mentioned, in a stacked A-10 this year. The Rams need to take advantage of every opportunity. And if they don't, they're going to be losers. And that's the bottom line. They have to... How they have to close out games well, all right. If they want a chance at making the tournament, if they do make the tournament, these are not bad teams. I mean, you have to be gr- a great team to make the NCAA tournament, and there's going to be close games, and you got to learn how to close out those close games. And I feel like that's something that URI has, has to work on. And I feel like them having these games is a lesson to look back on, saying, "Hey, let's not turn the ball over. Let's make our free throws in clutch time," and something to look back on to improve themselves. One more thing that bothers me i talked to you before we even got on the rams must hold on to their work and what i mean they'll go on a 25 to 12 run over a span of six or so minutes i'm just making a hypothetical up but then they let up a 12 run in two minutes they gotta do a better job of limiting runs by playing tougher defense and attacking the basket and taking smarter shots honestly when, when they go up or a big run they tend to take shots that aren't really good and unless the other team get back into play, get back into the game, and all that work you did, either getting a lead or coming back to tie the game, is gone. And it's just so frustrating over 13 minutes to see a team fight back as hard as they can and will back playing great basketball to then see it go in two minutes because of a couple turnovers and some bad shots. And it's just really annoying. We saw it in the West Kentucky game, saw it in Wisconsin. We've seen it in Arizona State. And it's something the Rams got to work on, limiting the runs, uh, a run of the other team. So that's it for the preview of last week of Wisconsin and Western Kentucky. Now, the Rams can bounce back in a big way as they play their first A-10 matchup this week at home on Friday against the Davidson Wildcats. This team, it's it's a good team. By no means is it bad. All right, Davidson is always competitive. And one of the most consistent teams in the A-10 over the past five years or so. This team led by Bob McKillop in his 31st year at the helm at Davidson is 3-2 and two with wins over High Point, UNLV, and Georgia Southern. And they only have losses to Texas, who was number 17 at the time, obviously ranked higher now, by two at the buzzer, or a game-winning shot with like 20 seconds left. Not the buzzer, but game-winning shot. And they lost to PC by one after one of their stars, Hing Yong Lee, Missing the potentially game-winning layup, and they lost by 163-62. So this is a good team that Rody has to take advantage of winning this one to start going 1-0, rather, in 8-10 conference play. Yeah, it's a big one, and it's a really tough game to start 8-10 play. There's no cupcakes this year, and this certainly is not one. This is a Davidson team that's always well-coached. They're always very well-disciplined, 
And, you know, they have, you know, like you mentioned before, they've lost a lot of close games. So, you know, Texas PC being some of those close games. So they just seem to be snake bitten at the Maui Invitational. They're ready to go. They're raring to go after losing those really tightly contested games. And I really think this is a team that's always a contender to win the A-10. And even this year, I think they could end up winning it. I mean, who knows what can happen? So if you have a coach that's been there forever and he's one of the best coaches in the A-10 and I think in the country, this team can have a chance to win it and they're going to be ready to go. They're you know, trying to avenge those really close losses that they had in Asheville. So, I mean, this is a team that is led by Kellen Grady. I think he's one of the better players in the A-10. I think he has a chance to win A-10 player of the year this year. So you got to find a way to slow him down. He can get his points, but you got to find a way to limit his big shots down the stretch because he has a knack for big time shots in these big games. Yeah, I just describe Davidson as them having a core four, right? Players who were on the team last year who obviously know each other and play with each other. Of course, you mentioned Kellen Grady. He's averaging 18 points this year. He's a 6'5 guard senior, right? He look, getting looked at the draft his freshman year, sophomore year, but he's kind of a decline ever since his first two, first two years, but still a great player nonetheless. And then you have Hung Jung Lee, right? He's, a, he's listed as a forward at 6'7". He averages 17 points a game and shoots 50% from three. He's a real-time gamer who can shoot the three ball very well and is very quick and versatile for a 6'7 forward. Another guy to look out for, Carter Collins, a senior guard. He's averaging 14 a game and someone who I saw in person last year at the Ryan Center and he he has the longest arms I think I've ever seen. Luka Brajicvic. All right, he's a forward. He's 6'10 junior. He's averaging 9 points, 5.6 rebounds. Whenever he got the ball down low, it was a layup for him. He just turned around with his long arms and just placed the ball in the hoop. So the Rams got to really work at containing him. I think it's up to Mikel Mitchell there, containing as the tallest man on the team, to stop Luka Brajovic down low. And, of course, we have to have a good body like DJ Johnson on Hung Jung Lee, as they both are very similar play style and very similar in height and weight. Yeah, this is a good team. They're a big team. They can shoot. And it seems like even after you know Steph Curry left Davidson, they've had really good guards since then. And they've always been a really competitive team, even since you know the, the best player they've ever had left. So they obviously have good guard play. They have bigs down low that can score, like you mentioned. So this is a team that has a lot of depth, their experience, and that's big in the A-10 this year. I feel like with St. Louis, Richmond, St. Bonaventure, Dayton, that's so key this year. Davidson's gonna, Davidson's gonna be up there with the best of them, and I mean, this is gonna be a really tough game. And I think it's gonna come down to, I mean, first of all, you gotta find a way to slow down Kellen Grady, but you know, really, you just gotta tighten up the little things. And we've talked about over and over free throws and turnovers. Davidson is a team that's gonna find a way to take advantage if you just continue to turn the ball over like you did in the Wisconsin and Western Kentucky games. So if you find a way to limit those turnovers, make your free throws. You're going to find a way to win this game. You can't let Davidson take advantage of you. You can't let, you know, can't keep fouling and send them on the free throw line. So, I mean, this is a team that's got to find a way to start playing without fouling because that's going to be a huge issue for them down the stretch if they can't find a way to do so. Looking at URI side of the ball, you have Fast Russell. He's averaging 15.7 points a game, but probably his most noteworthy stat is one that shouldn't be 22.9% from the three. If you're fat Russell, you got to take smarter shots and shoot better 
from outside. He's forcing up a lot of shots he doesn't need to take. And I think that's resulting in that low three-point percentage. Jeremy Shepard averaging 10.6 points. He's shooting 47.8%, leading the Rams from three. And you have Jalen Carey's having 9.2 points. Hopefully, Shep and Carey can have a bounce-back game against Davidson on Friday night. Antoine, as mentioned before, six, nine points, 6.9 rebounds. And then Ishmael and DJ Johnson both averaging a little more than six points a game coming off the bench. You look at this Davidson team, and I think the keys for Rody, I think like Rody actually, uh, comparing to Davidson, is the better team and the more talented team in my mind. They should win Friday, but they must play Rhode Island, simple Rhode Island basketball, which means limit turnovers, make free throws, and, and assert a dominance going down low. You got to tighten up the outside shooting as well. Usually, I'm always a big guy of if it's the right shot, I don't care where it's from. If it's the best shot, if it's the open shot, take it. If you miss it, no problem. If you got to open three in the corner, even though it's rough, even though it's early in the shot clock, if it's open, take it. The best opportunities, take them. But when they're continuously missing those open shots, it becomes frustrating to watch. A team that is contending to be a team in March, when they can't hit, can't hit their open shots, they can't knock those open looks down, it's so frustrating. It is very frustrating. And it's a big game for the defense as well. As Davidson's offense is always good. As you mentioned earlier, they can shoot from wherever. They always have a great offense, especially this year. And look at their stats. It shows it. 50% from the field, right? 40% from three. That's very good. 75% from the free throw line. And they only turn the ball over 11 times a game. So the Rams got to be have a great defensive game if they want to win on a Friday night against Davidson. They got the Rams got to match the offensive pressure that Davidson will bring and turn defense into offense as much as possible, right? Once they get transition buckets, they got to get waves. They got to get points to pressure this offense on Davidson to take shots that aren't there. They aren't really comfortable with, and they can match Davidson's offensive pressure. I think you guys have a good chance of winning this game. And I think this game will be a very high scoring match in the eighties, if not the nineties, as Rory looks to bounce back after back-to-back losses. So that's going to be it for our preview of David that Davidson game. It is Friday night at 7 p.m. at the Ryan Center. Of course, no fans, but um, we'll be on an ESPN carrier. I don't think I don't have right away. I don't know if it's ESPN U, ESPN Plus, ESPN Two. So uh, do some research there. I don't think it has come out yet, but that will be the game against Davidson on Friday night. Now, Colin, again, let's get into the games this week, this past week, and upcoming. Uh, across the nation in college basketball. Yeah, there were some huge games across the country this past week. Uh, last Tuesday, we had number seven Creighton, or uh, number eight Creighton losing to number seven Kansas, 73-72. It came down to a potential game-tying free throw for Marcus Zagorowski, but he missed it, and that would give the Jayhawks the win at Allen Fieldhouse. Also on Tuesday, Huge game between number three, Iowa, and number 14, UNC. The Hawkeyes getting the win over the Tar Heels, 93-80. to The Hawkeyes hitting a marvelous 17 threes in that game, and they get the win in Iowa City. On Tuesday as well, number five, Illinois, getting a huge win over number six, Duke, 83-62 at Cameron Indoor. Duke dropping another home game to a Big Ten opponent this season. Also on Tuesday, no ranked teams involved, but this is just comical. Kansas State losing to a Division II opponent, 
Fort Hayes State, 81 to 68 at home. I mean, that's just pathetic to that's me. That's embarrassing. Hey, losing to a D2 team at home. By 13 oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. I mean, and even for Kansas State, it's going to get worse because you're going in the Big 12, one of the best conferences in the country. You're going to have to play Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, there's so many good teams. So, I mean, K-State, I mean, you guys are going to have to figure out because you guys stink. I mean, losing to a D2 team at home, that's just laughable. A team that I don't think I've ever heard of heading into that game, but that's just hilarious. So, let's get to Wednesday now. Number 20, FSU defeating Indiana, 69-67 in overtime. FSU, I think they're for real. They're my pick to win the ACC this year. I think they're a really good team on Thursday. Number 24, SDSU defeating number 23, ASU, 80-68. to The Aztecs building off that spectacular year they had last year would have been a team that made a deep run in the tournament. And on Saturday, Florida taking on number 22 FSU in Tallahassee and got to send some prayers up for Keontae Johnson's scary moment in that game. He collapsed during the game. So we hope all is well with him. Also on Saturday, number six, Illinois taking on Missouri in the, on the road. They lose that game. Io DeSumo has an incredible game and probable game putting up over 30 points, but just takes an idiotic shot at the end of the game. Missouri gets the win over the fighting Illini. Also on Saturday, FGSU upsetting Miami at home, 66-62. Maybe there's shades of Dunk City, that team that beat Georgetown in the tournament years ago, but the Hurricanes losing at home. And on Sunday, we were slated to have a big game, number 17, Texas at number two, Baylor. Unfortunately, that was postponed due to COVID. And some extra little notes here, Luca Garza scoring 34 points in 17 minutes in the second half for number three, Iowa, on Friday against Iowa State. This team went a remarkable 13 of 14 on field goal attempts. and He shot 13 of 14 from uh, field goal on field goal attempts, and he shot six of seven from three. Hawkeyes putting up 105 points in that game. And the Kentucky Wildcats, the awful season continues for them. They lose to Notre Dame on Saturday at home, 64-63, and that would mark the worst start for the Wildcats, a 1-4 and four start. That would be the worst since 1984 and 1985. So the, wild, the Wildcats just digging themselves a huge hole. And finally here, Cade Cunningham. He was the star heading into the season. He hits a game-winning three for Oklahoma State against Wichita State on the road, showing his poise as a freshman. Oklahoma State, they've got a perfect 6-0 record thus far. Some decent wins against Marquette and Wichita State, a team to watch out for in the Big 12. And we've got some big games coming up this week. On Thursday, it's number 5, Kansas at number 14, Texas Tech. That's at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Both these teams are 6-1 and and atop the Big 12 standings with teams like Baylor and Texas on Saturday. This is a huge one. This is going to be a fun one. Number three, Iowa taking on number one, Gonzaga at noon. Two top teams in the country going at it. Should be interesting to see what Luca Garza can do building off that phenomenal performance against Iowa State. Also on Saturday, the great games continue. Number 23, Louisville at number 12, Wisconsin. That's at noon. The ACC Big Ten Challenge looks like they rescheduled that game. That'll be on ESPN two, 
two teams that are very dangerous in their respective conferences. Also finishing up on Saturday, number 20, Ohio State taking on number 22, UNC. That's at 4.30 p.m. on CBS, part of the CBS Sports Classic. And finally, on Saturday, number 17, Virginia taking on number 7, Villanova. That's at 8 p.m. on Fox. Villanova coming off that huge comeback win over Georgetown. So a lot of great games across the country this week. If you're not watching college basketball on Saturday, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Obviously, I know there's college football on, but there's a lot of good college basketball games on Saturday in this week. One looking forward, obviously, Iowa Gonzaga, an absolute blockbuster. Luke Garza, so he can prove his point, his point, his his just immac- He's just an immaculate basketball player who can do everything. So if he can prove his point against Gonzaga, that'd be a great game for the Hawkeyes. Wouldn't be surprised if they're ranked number one if they win that one. Now to look across the eight ten these this past week and going into next week, I'm just gonna go over the highlights in the the highlight games because. There's a lot of games I could say, like Lincoln, PA, playing LaSalle, or Central Arkansas getting blown out by by 23 to St. Louis. But we're going to get into interesting ones. A good mid-major game on Saturday the 8th. We had Dayton taking on the Northern Kentucky Fighting Norse. By the way, love the name Fighting Norse. Don't really see that in college basketball. Don't really see that across any sports. I never heard a team called the Fighting Norse besides Northern Kentucky. Great name, but our guys, Dayton Flyers, take the victory 66-60. to 60. On to Wednesday, of course, you had Ron lose to Wisconsin. Another big game. Richmond taking out, taking down a one and four, now one and four Northern Iowa team. I think this team, Northern Iowa, is a good mid-major. They've always been pretty solidly consistent as a good mid-major. They just run into some great Power Five teams and a great team in Richmond. As the Spiders move to four and zero, there they win by 10, 78, 68 after a performance, a great performance by Tyler Burton, who had twenty one and thirteen. 21 points, 13 rebounds. Going on to Friday, UMass playing their first game of the year. Really the only highlight of that of that day besides Delaware beating George Washington by three. Not surprised. UMass taking down Northeastern by 15, 94 to 79. Trey Mitchell, 31 points, 11 rebounds. He's trying to prove his 8-10 player of the year case in their first game against Northeastern. Go to Saturday, Dayton, again, picking up a good, a great win, rather, in, in double overtime over Mississippi State, 85-82. to 82. Despite DJ Stewart Jr.'s efforts for Mississippi State, he had 32 points. Dayton takes the victory. Look at Sunday, Richmond facing on West Virginia. The Richmond Spiders dropped their first game against they, a very good Mountaineers team is going to lose by 16 points, 87 to 71. They did not play well in that first half, getting outscored by 22 points. Nathan Kao had 14 points and six rebounds, but it wasn't enough against the Mountaineers. Richmond ended, Richmond Spiders ended up dropping out of the top 25 after that loss, but they are first in receiving votes. In second, right behind them, is A10 team St. Louis. And of course, Rodon's loss against. Western Kentucky that day, as well as UMass. After beating Northeastern by 15, you think that they can beat him again on Sunday, but nope, lose by three. The most A10, uh, most UMass thing I've heard, uh, lose, win by 15, lose by three the next couple of days. And on right now, right now, we have a game going on as we're speaking. William and Mary and George Washington overtime. William and Mary, oh, final, final score. We're giving you a final report here. From the Ryan Rams podcast, William Mary takes down George Washington in overtime, 85 to 84. George Washington losing yet again. You just hate to see the mayhem not working for the uh, the Colonials down there in D.C. 
Are, are we ready to declare them the worst team in the conference? I mean, don't disrespect Fordham like well, that. Sal Fordham. Don't disrespect Fordham like that. Come on. <laughs> Come on. They're too low. It's They're pretty close. High. I mean, they, I think George Washington it's, was up by like 15, a, though. Hey, give me a date when George Washington and Fordham play because that's going to be an absolute slugfest. Whoever wins that game rocks because <laughs> you officially win the title of not being the worst team in D1. Looking to tomorrow, my Tuesday, out if I had to watch that as we're filming this, there's two good games. I mean, Davidson's playing tomorrow against Charlotte. So you or I fans, you want to check that out on ESPN plus at 7 p.m. Go ahead. Check it up. Dave, check it out. Davidson's favored by 11 and a half points. But you got St. Bonaventure. You got to feel for the Bonnies. I mean, they've gotten so many. I think it's been at least three games canceled to start the season with them getting COVID and all their uh, all their teams are playing getting COVID. They're playing their first game tomorrow at 2 p.m. on ESPN three against Akron at Cleveland. They're favored by six. Hopefully the Bonnets can grab a win against a solid Akron team to start off the year. It's already December 14th. They got to get a win to start off the year. Western Carolina, who's six and one, playing VCU at the Seagull Center, but VCU is still favored by 15 points. Shouldn't be a tough one for VCU. Going on to the 16th Wednesday, you have UMass taking on LaSalle for the first ever 8-10 game of the year. I think UMass is going to destroy LaSalle. Trey Mitchell's going to have a great game, and they're going to take the victory there. Richmond returning to home and home, going on the road to Vanderbilt in Nashville, taking on the Commodores, who are 2-0 and this year. Should be a good proving point for Richmond. Team that can bounce back from that horrendous loss against a great Western uh, West Virginia team, rather. And when Friday night, the 18th, the only real game is Uri Davidson. And on Saturday, we have a couple good games. Duquesne-Richmond should be a very good game for two teams that are contending for that 8-10 regular season championship. I know it's early. I know it's their first game, but those are two teams that were put in the top five. So it should be a good game there, 2 p.m. at Richmond on Saturday the 19th. You have Hostra taking on St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure, again, getting these early games in before 8-10 play starts. But the, mo- the game I'm most uh, excited for it is the Ole Miss Dayton game at the UD Arena. Ole Miss, a, another good team, a Power Five SEC team. They're two and all in the year. They take on Dayton on the road. And on Sunday, an absolute show. I'll tell you what, this is my favorite game of the week right here. I've probably said that like three times so far, but this, this is my favorite game of the week so far. St. Louis, who's 4 0, goes on the road against a team that seems to only play at home. Minnesota, they're a great team. Richard Bertino has got a good team over there up in Minneapolis, but they, they're 6-0 at home, and they're 6-0 total. But Minnesota, a great team nonetheless. St. Louis, a very physical team in the A-10, looking for a the key conference victory for for the A-10 as, of course, I mean, can the Kentucky win for Richmond? I mean, it counts, but I don't know. I mean, West Kentucky seems to be the better team in Kentucky than Kentucky is. And the last game a week from now, it's not really a good game, but St. Joe's usually tends to play well against good teams. They go to Knoxville taking on number 10, Tennessee, and that's going to be it for the A-10 lookout. I can't wait till we get some more A-10 games. We start analyzing standings and what needs to happen with the Rams to move up or move, whatever happens. I can't wait for the A-10 play to finally start. It commences Wednesday, LaSalle, UMass, and the Rounds first game of the A-10 season on Friday against Davidson. A, a very good game to watch. For any fan of the A-10, two teams that need to prove a point and need to take a stance going into this A-10 schedule. Colin, anything else? Can't wait. Let's go, baby. A-10 plays here. I'm very excited for all the upcoming Rhode Island 
news, games, whatever. And, of course, another great week. Great week, especially this week, in college basketball. So, as always, stay safe and roadie, roadie, roadie.